Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's our lead pastor, Matthew Malik. Great to have all of you here. My name is Matt Malik. I'm the lead pastor at Refuge. So honored that you could be here. If this is your first time visiting, especially welcome to Refuge. Yes, we're so excited. We're beginning a brand new series, and uh, I always like to start and begin a new series. It's like something fresh, something new, something challenging, something that hopefully will motivate us to go deeper with God and go further in our relationship with Him. Uh, but I wanted to mention, if you were not with us last week, we had guest minister Gary McIntosh speak, and what a powerful message he shared, so relevant to the culture today for this church uh, the message was entitled, Follow the Cloud. Not crowd, cloud. And so that's available. Uh, you can check that out on the podcast. Uh, so that's there for you. Uh, so we're beginning in this series entitled Rise and Fall. We're talking about Noah's Ark. Now, I, I love the story about Noah's Ark. How about you? You know, I, I think a lot of uh, themes, children themes, like uh, when we had our first child, Daniel, Guess what? Deb had the idea, let's do a Noah's Ark theme. And so how cute had this little cute pastel colored ark with all the animals around it and, and just decorated the whole room. And yet, then later Tom and us, you know, that whole story is about God's judgment. So is that, but yet God's love is right in the center of it too. So, and hopefully we'll find out more about that today. We're talking about rise and fall. And when we think about that term, rise and fall, we can think of the Third Reich, or the Roman Empire. Uh, John F. Kennedy, former president, uh, to quote him, he said, A man may die, nations may rise and fall, but an idea lives on. And I believe with that statement, we can say and assert, assume that truth also lives on. And, and so no matter what's going on in your life today, Remember, this is only preparation of that which is to come, okay? People come and go. Situations rise and fall, but it's all preparation for better things, okay? So keep that in mind. Temperatures may rise and fall. We just have to deal with it, don't we? Put on a sweater. I saw some people wearing sweaters today. You know, the weather, the temperature is changing. It's rising and it's falling, okay? This time of the year more likely falling, okay? Well, let's join our faith together as we go to prayer, as we prepare to receive God's Word. Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father, we're grateful and thankful for the opportunity to be here. Father, we pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to inspire us, to encourage us through your Word. Thank you, Father, for everyone that's come and everyone under the sound of my voice. Father, that they would be able to receive truth that can bring greater freedom in their journey with you in their lives. Help us, O oh God, to draw closer to you with a greater revelation and understanding of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, one of the things uh, in coming into this year, 2019, God gave us somewhat of a theme, and this theme is centered around growth in building. And I believe whether it's a huge tower in the natural, strong walls, or gigantic boats, or people's lives, the Bible is full 
of incredible stories about construction projects, okay? And I believe through these stories and through this series, it's going to reveal to you God's blueprint for your life because you are under construction because Jesus, the Scripture says, has begun a good work in you. Uh, Philippians chapter, and I don't have this on the slide, chapter 1 verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ or until it comes to completion. And so uh, we're excited about what God is doing, but, you know, we have to cooperate with God and let him do what he wants to do in us. Sometimes we can get in the way. Sometimes we can be stubborn. Sometimes we can be resistant against what God wants to do. I think the greatest struggle of Christianity, you may, you may have heard me say this before, is what I call a yielding struggle. It's yielding our will to his will. Uh, with me, you know, I, I know the assignment God gave Noah was pretty significant. And could you imagine getting the assignment to do what he did? But God has an assignment for all of us in this room. Assignment God gave me back in 1983 was to return to Stevens Point. I'm from this area. I was living in Oklahoma at the time to return to Stevens Point and build a church. Well, that scared me. That frightened me. And as I began to pray, that's all I could do is pray and see God. I said, God, I need your help. I, I don't know what to do. I've, you know, I've never done this before. I've seen others do it. I've been part of churches, but I've never been a part of building and establishing a brand new church. And then as I was praying, the Lord began to reveal that it just wasn't going to be a church, but there was going to be a child care facility. There was going to be a Christian school training young people and, and a, a Bible college and those type of things. And that overwhelmed me. And I thought, Lord, I can't do this. This is, I'm kind of an awkward guy. I'm an introvert. I've got all these hangups. And I don't have the knowledge and education to do all this. But you know what? I rest in the fact of what Jesus said in his word. In Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the realization that Jesus is the one building the church, he's just looking for someone to be a mouthpiece, someone to be a servant, someone to be a tool in his hand so he can accomplish what he wants to do. And so it's yielding ourselves to him, our will to him to do what he wants us to do. And so I believe that from a kingdom standpoint, when we talk about building, relationship is the focus of building that results in growth that expands God's influence in the earth. And that's what he really wants to do. Now, we're going to talk about Noah. But I want to start with talking about just the flood itself. Is there proof of Noah's flood? Well, what's interesting, just to give you a little bit of backdrop, there are 25 great flood stories that can be found around the world from different societies, different cultures, different countries. And great flood stories can be found all over the world. In fact, there's uh, 200 or more myths about this thing called the flood. Now, they have different variations, but most of them generally talk about a deity or deities expressing wrath or judgment upon wicked people and then saving people to start all over again and saving a few people to start all over again. And so, but this idea of the great flood, is, is, there's a link 
between all these cultures and societies. Now, whether you believe in the Great Flood or not, I'm not here to debate you about that now. Now, I'd like to have a conversation, sit down with you, give you some material to research on your own. But it, it is something that you should really come to identify where you stand on this, on this subject, on this issue. Is the Great Flood just a myth, a story, or is it something that actually happened? Now, you can also take it up with Jesus. You can take it up with Apostle Peter in the writer of Hebrews, who most scholars believe is the Apostle Paul. Because all of these authorities, these religious figures, these leaders, including Jesus himself, spoke of the flood as something that happened and as a fact. We, we have evidence that proves that there was a worldwide flood. Uh, a great uh, resource is Answers in Genesis. It's a website. Go there, and it answers all the tough questions. You know, where people say, well, what about this? What about this? It really addresses some of those things. And there's other uh, sites out there that can help you navigate through this issue, whether or not there was a great flood. Now, the Grand Canyon, I believe, is proof of a worldwide flood. Uh, not necessarily the a proof of evolution. And Answers in Genesis has a whole section talking about uh, the Grand Canyon and that. But Noah's flood is obviously one of the great stories of the Bible. I don't believe it's a myth. It's historic truth. In fact, it really happened. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, it says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So here we see Jesus identified that Noah actually lived and existed. And secondly, in Luke 17, 27, we see... They were eating, Jesus is speaking, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So Jesus affirmed and confirmed the story in his own statement. And then if the writer of Hebrews is the apostle Paul, in Hebrews eleven seven, it says, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah was a man of faith. It took faith to do what he did. And then we see Peter, the apostle Peter. He writes in 1 Peter 3.20. And he declares, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And so here we see another confirmation or testimony of a respected uh, person, Peter the Apostle, you know. So now we need to understand the limits of sci scientific method or approach of things because science does not always consider what I call the God factor when examining the biblical record. The scientific method is limited to the five senses, mostly. And what we discover through our five senses, through study, data, looking at artifacts and things. And there can be a difference between the human interpretation of data and what data really stands for. There's always something that can be lost or added, or figured in or factored in with the interpretation because of the mindset that one may have. 
Now, science cannot explain the supernatural and the miraculous. In fact, I love the definition for the word miracle. Uh, it's defined as an effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. So science cannot necessarily explain a miracle. Uh, we had a woman years ago that had been diagnosed. She had a tumor the size of a grapefruit and came forward for prayer, went back for further tests and examinations, and the cancer of the tumor was gone. They couldn't even do a biopsy because it was no longer there. Now, what did the doctors say? They couldn't explain it. Well, we probably misdiagnosed you. Then it probably was never there to begin with. Well, that was the reasoning in that because they had no explanation scientifically to explain such a miracle, okay? And there's numerous miracles over the years. I can remember praying for a man that was dying of emphysema. They had just removed life support from him and gathered around with the family. And... Um, and I'm saying, okay, how can I minister comfort to this family? The first thing I asked his wife was, um, has he made his peace with God? And he said, yes, he rededicated his life to the Lord two, two uh, weeks ago. So he's ready to go home and be with Jesus. And I'm about to pray just for a peaceful home going and comfort and strength for the family because the doctors had given him about two hours to live. They just removed life support. He was taking hard, uh, gasping breaths. <gasps> barely able to breathe. And, and, and so I ask him, and I've just sensed the Lord say, ask him what his dying request would be. So, okay, that's good. And I was shocked with what he said. He, he got, I asked the Lord to give me new lungs. And I just stopped and I looked at his family. And I said, should we not honor this dying man's request, your father, your husband? And they were all in agreement, yeah. And I said, if God should give us a miracle, then we won't have to say goodbye right now. But otherwise, we're saying our goodbye. And so we prayed in faith. We've, I sensed the presence of God come into that room. And, and I left, and I told Michelle, his wife, just call me. And, and I didn't get a call that evening. It was Saturday night. Actually, it was Friday night. Then Saturday morning, she calls me, and I'm thinking, okay, this is it. You know, he's, he's passed away. And she said, Pastor Matt, God's given us a miracle. The doctors can't explain what happened. Roy is still with us. And he asked for breakfast. He hasn't had a, a meal in, like, a couple weeks. And I said, well, what, are, what do they say? So well, if he's, he's still alive in a few days, they're going to put him in a nursing home, and then they'll go from there. Well, he went to the nursing home. Two weeks later, they sent him home. Total miracle. And the doctors, yeah. Roy McDonald. And the doctors told him, his doctor told him, you are my miracle man. And so God does those things. Now, that wasn't in my notes. That's all free, so you've got to give me at least five more minutes, okay? <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the story, the narrative of Noah. And we're taking it up from Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. 
But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that word favor means grace, extended ability, enabling us to do what we can't do on our own. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That's, that's key. You might want to underline that. We'll write that down. Noah walked with God. Now, the Message Bible reads just slightly differently, but I thought it would be good to share it in the Message Bible as well. So this is the story of Noah. Noah was a good man, a man of integrity in his community. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so here we see mention of his family. He was a family man. And so this is his story. So I have four points for you today. And these are what lessons can we learn from Noah? What lessons can we learn from Noah? Number one, the first lesson we can learn from Noah is Noah walked with God. He walked with God. You know, what a testimony. If somebody says that about me, I would take that as a compliment. I can say that about Sam. Sam walks with God. And so many of you others, I know you walk with God. I could say that and testify that about you as well. And because Noah walked with God as a result, he recognized and answered God's call. See, until you begin to walk with God, you won't recognize or you won't have the capacity to even answer the call of God for your life. And you know what? God has a call on every life in this room, including yours. But you need to recognize it and then respond to it. And uh, you will struggle. You'll be frustrated if you pursue, pursue your own plans, try to do your own thing. Uh, but when you do God's thing, there's peace, there's fulfillment, there's joy. And I, I would not want to do anything other than what God's called me to do. And that's why I'm standing before you today. My dream was to be an architect. Oh, yeah. I even had a scholarship. I was going to pay my way to school for that. And I can remember when God began to shift the direction in the course of my life, I wept. I was grieved because that was what I wanted to do. But, you know, as answering the call to be a pastor, I've had a part in designing buildings and, and doing things like that. So God's allowed me to even experience some of what I uh, forsake and, and yielding to his call. Now, uh, with evil and corruption all around Noah, he maintained a right relationship with God. And that's hard to do in any culture. Noah answered God's call as impossible as it was. I don't know if any of you ever saw the movie Evan Almighty. You know, it's really one of my favorites. You know, it, it's, it's actually a modern narrative or story of Noah's Ark. But it takes the word, and it really, I believe, brings things into it that helps us to understand the real story. Um, and so we have a clip here when, when Evan had his encounter with God. Let's, let's just watch this. I love how God laughed, who's portrayed there as God, uh, Morgan Freeman, says, your plans? He kind of laughed. Does God ever laugh at us? What, your plans? That we would think our plans were superior to God's or more insightful than his? Probably not. Uh, Steve Carell, as Evan Baxter, I think, does a great job as an actor in that. So the question we need to ask, will you recognize and answer God's call? Because God has a plan for building 
There's a plan for building which has to do with your future. And he has something that he wants you to build. And I believe discovery of his plan must become a priority in our lives because if it isn't, then we'll never begin this journey with him. A building plan, we can call it the blueprint. A blueprint reveals the end result. Without a blueprint, it's nearly impossible to build. You're going you're gonna to have who knows what. It's not going to look very good. You're just kind of building as you go. No, you need a blueprint. And the designer of the blueprint is what we call an architect. And, and God is the architect and the designer of the plan that he has for our life, for us individually and corporately as a church. And so I believe that we all have a pre-designed place in part in his plan. And we need to remember this. Nothing you conceive, nothing you can possibly conceive can compare to God's plan for your life. And I, I think that there's some of you that are here that you're afraid to ask God to reveal his plan for you. Because you're thinking, what if I can't do it? What if I'm unwilling to do it? What if it's not something I want to do? But you need to set all that aside and you need to seek him and say, Lord, what is your plan? Now, you may already be living out that plan in part, but there's always more that God has for you. I'm continuing to seek God. Lord, what's your plan for this season of my life, for this season for this church? Because times and seasons change, and God directs and redirects, and he shows us what he wants us to do. Now, sadly, many people live their lives without knowing where they are or where they're going to end up. And so they're wandering aimlessly in life. Where's your life going? Do you even know? Or you, you may be filled with doubts and questions, and that's okay. That's perfectly okay. I love it when people have doubts and questions because that tells me that they're wanting to know some answers for their life. Now, there's, uh, we got a couple of pictures of Noah's Ark. Uh, the Ark Encounter is a... Um, place in Kentucky. It's Williamstown, Kentucky. The Ark County features a full-size Noah's Ark built according to the, to the dimensions that are given in the scripture, spanning 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. And uh, this, oh, you want to bring up those? We've got a couple pictures. If you can bring them up. There we go. See that? And uh, they act, that's actually an um, artistic drawing. And uh, they actually built one that resembles that. And you can go see that in Kentucky. And if you have questions, go with your questions because I think they have some answers. Point number two. What can we learn from Noah's life? Noah followed God's blueprint for his assignment. In Genesis 6, Noah is given specific instructions to build the ark. We see starting in verse 11. It says, Now the earth, is, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, we're going to talk about this in a little bit because some people say, but is this a God of love that would, would send judgment upon wicked people? But we need to understand 
that God extends his mercy continually and is patient to extend his mercy. But if people continue to refuse his mercy, eventually they will face his judgment. But it's their choice. It's their will, not God's. God is constantly appealing to the hearts of men to repent, to come to a place where they can encounter him and experience his love. It grieves the heart of God to bring judgment on wicked people. In, in chapter 6, verse 14, the instruction comes clear to Moses. It says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of it, and that gives the dimensions and so forth. Verse 16 says, make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make its, it with lower, second, and third decks. Now, Noah had to follow God's blueprint. A boat of that nature and that kind of structure never existed before. And when we think about an ark, what is an ark? An ark is a place of safety. Or as we know from the Bible encounter here, experience here, it's a huge boat was constructed by Noah to preserve humanity and the animal species. Now, building with God's blueprint is always essential. And we need to understand that the Bible is our blueprint for how we live our life. It gives us direction, and it reveals what God wants to do in the finished and end result as well. Now, I believe that Although your assignment in life or task may seem difficult or even impossible, the joy and peace that we experience by being obedient to God's plan will far outweigh any obstacles that one may encounter along the way. So what are you facing when you embrace God's plan for your life? What challenge are you facing? I think of, of, of Bob and Julie, and Julie spearheaded destiny Point Women's Restoration Home. Her heart and compassion was to minister to hurting women that needed a place where they could be made whole and healthy again. Well, she had to face many obstacles and setbacks. And just this past weekend, they had the open house to building that was donated to them that they completely renovated. And it's such a beautiful facility that's going to serve God's purpose, God's heart to reach hurting women, and bring wholeness and healing to their lives. Number three, what can we learn from Noah's life? Noah preached the gospel with perseverance. In 2 Peter 2.5, the scripture reads, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald or preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now from the time... Noah received his assignment. He was like 500 years old. That's pretty old. You might say, boy, they lived a long time back then. And uh, there's a scientific theory of, of why people lived longer back then. Uh, uh, some scientists believe that uh, there was an atmospheric layer of water that engulfed the earth like a bubble, and that protected uh, the inhabitants on the earth from some of the ultraviolet rays that may call cause aging. And also, it caused the greenhouse effect on the earth. It had never rained before. And that's why they can find plant life in, in places where 
in frozen tundra that shouldn't be there. Well, at one time, there was a greenhouse effect upon this whole earth. And so, uh, and then we know our axis is tilted six degrees, and, and that's really all God had to do to create the flood, tilt the earth suddenly, causing all the waters underneath to come to the top and causing that canopy of water to, to break and cause a deluge. Um, yes, uh, yeah, that's one theory about it. So um, Noah's Ark experience, you can find out all the rest, okay? Anyway, I didn't mean to say that, but uh, I, I think that's kind of cool. I, I like, I like uh, looking and searching all that stuff out. Now, now, the people of Noah's day rejected God's redemption. And he, Noah had to be one discouraged preacher because he preached 100 years and no converts other than his family. But remember, mercy always precedes God's judgment. They had a chance to repent, but they didn't. So number four, we need to wrap this up. We're going to share communion just a little bit too. Another lesson that we can learn from Noah is that Noah fully obeyed God. Noah fully obeyed God. Noah did everything God commanded him to do. In Genesis 6.22, in the Message Bible, it says, Noah did everything God commanded him to do. Now, that was in reference to Noah building the ark. But, you know, obedience is something that has to follow through. Because he could have built the ark and then retired. I'm done. But we see also in Genesis 7, 5, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. That verse in Genesis 7, 5 was in reference to Noah loading the ark with the animals, two of every kind, two of species on the earth. And so, again, as a recap, what lessons can we learn from Noah? Number one, Noah walked with God. And as a result, he recognized and answered God's call. Number two, Noah followed God's blueprint for his assignment. Number three, Noah preached the gospel with perseverance. And then finally, number four, Noah fully obeyed God. So one of the final things he had to do is get on the ark. So watch this clip from Evan Almighty. I love this. I don't know about you. I, I can be kind of moved by those kind of scenes. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, you know, what, there's so many things that portrayed in the movie. We encourage you to watch that whole film if you, if you want to for entertainment. <laughs> hey, let's just, movie night? Okay, no. <laughs> all right. But, yeah, I, I love how the, the family dynamic in there and all that. There's a lot of things happening. But, yeah. So we see the rise and the fall. In Genesis 7, 9, 17 through 19, the scripture reads, The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. And then the fall. In Genesis 8.1, but God remembered Noah and the beast and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. So they came down. Now, I want to close this service before we uh, share communion together. 
and talk about building your house on the rock so that you can be prepared when the flood comes. Now, we're not going to have a worldwide flood. There may be, you know, floods that devastate communities or cities, as we've seen in the recent hurricanes in the Bahamas. We may see that in part. But floods refer to circumstances, situations that can all engulf us, that can engulf us. And we see a scripture Jesus is teaching, and he's talking about uh, a flood in another sense, the flood of life, circumstances, and issues we face. But in Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49, Jesus makes this statement, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them, do his words and obey him is what that's in reference to. Is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now we understand that we have a choice today to hear Jesus' words, and not only hear them, but do them, because that's equated with how we build our lives upon a rock. Jesus is the rock, a solid rock. So when the flood comes, we won't fall. We won't be destroyed. And the flood is coming, but it's a different kind of flood upon this earth. Are you ready for that flood? Have you dug deep? Have you laid the foundation? Have you responded to Jesus' words? And the word that Jesus said, if anyone come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. But we have to come with a heart that's open and willing. The invitation to receive Jesus is probably the greatest invitation you will ever receive. Because Jesus came to this earth. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead to give us eternal life, to give us forgiveness of our sins, to give us a way to escape the flood so that we can be preserved in the ark. See, Jesus is a type of the ark, a place of safety. The church is a type of an ark, a place of safety. People coming in from this world beat up, messed up, and they come to find healing, wholeness, and shelter, and security. That's why the church of Jesus Christ is so important, and that's why Jesus is building it. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I don't know that my life is right with God. If I were to die today, I'm uncertain that I'd go to heaven. Or maybe you don't even believe that there's a heaven or that there is a hell. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on that because what if you're wrong and you believe? But what I want to extend to you is an, is an invitation to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life. To receive him, you must acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a savior because you cannot save yourself. But it's recognizing that Jesus is the Savior that was sent to this world to save lost humanity. That includes you, that includes me, and everyone ever born. 
So if you're here today, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads, close your eyes. This is a moment between you and God. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know that my life is right with God, would you pray for me? I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus. I'm ready to follow him. I'm ready to discover his purpose and his plan for me. I'm ready to walk with God. If that's you and you've, you've not made a decision for Jesus before, I want you to slip up your hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me so that I can receive God's love, his forgiveness, and all that he has for me. And maybe you say, I've been away from God. I haven't really been walking with him, but I know now it's time to get right. Jesus has his hands extended to you to welcome you and receive you back to himself. If that would be you, say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to get back on track with God. I know I've made some choices and decisions that has gone away from his plan, but I'm ready to get on track again. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Can I see those hands? You can put those hands down. Let's stand together as a congregation. We're going to pray. I call this a believer's prayer. And whether this is the first time you're accepting Jesus or whether you're getting back on track, getting up again, maybe you've gone through a discouraging season, but you're in a place right now to get on track again and to get right with God so that you can discover and serve and live out His purpose for your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I ask that you forgive me of my sins, that you cleanse my heart from unrighteousness, and that you make my life what you want it to be. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Amen. Father, I just thank you for everyone that's come here today and for what you're doing in their life. Father, let there be moments of discovery of your plan and your purpose for their lives as they seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Then this time, we're going to invite you to share in communion with us. And at Refuge, we believe in an open communion. If you're a believer, you uh, believe Jesus is the Lord of your life, you're welcome to share communion with us. The, the host right now will be passing out the elements, and we're, we're going to ask uh, that you take um, the elements, and then you continue to pass uh, to the next person through the aisles. And as, as the elements are being passed, we have the bread in the cup. I want to share a little story with you as the elements are being passed. I don't know if you were following the news this past week, um, but I saw a story that moved my heart. When we talk about communion, I believe it's all about God's forgiveness. It's all about His love engaging with humanity. This past week, a jury found former Dallas police officer, Amber 
Geiger guilty of murder in the September 2018 shooting death of her neighbor. Her neighbor was Botham Jean. She mistakenly thought the apartment she entered was her own when she opened the door and shot him, believing that he was an intruder. And you may have seen the news clips. You've probably maybe been following the story. But something incredible occurred in the courtroom after her guilty verdict, which I don't know if it's ever been done before, at least not in my lifetime. I haven't seen it. Botham Jean's younger brother, 18-year-old Brant, delivered his impact statement to her. And, and normally, the course of things, they have an impact statement at the end after the verdict is made. But this is what he stated. I'm going to read it to you. He said, If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I don't even want you to go to jail. Brandt continued, said, I want the best for you because that's exactly what Botham would want you to do for you. And the best would be to give your life to Jesus. Now, as he choked up, Brandt asked for permission from the judge to give Geiger a hug. And the judge actually granted his request and met Geiger in the middle of the courtroom. And she wrapped her arms around him and embraced him as he spoke some things personally into her ear. But that act, it, it shocked the nation to see how forgiveness can be displayed in a situation like this. I believe it's because of God. He's the only one that can give us the capacity to forgive because forgiveness is the greatest expression of love that can be made. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was love. God forgave us. That message was to us. It was to those who put Jesus on the cross. He forgave them. If you would take the bread proof this. My little tab actually broke, so. Thank you, Miranda, to the rescue. The scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Apostle Paul is writing, and he's talking about the Lord's table and communion. And he restates the words that Jesus stated at the Last Supper. Jesus said, take this bread, which is my body, and eat this, partake of this in remembrance of me. So communion is remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. 
that he took your place. He took your penalty. And he also, in taking your place and penalty, we know he rose from the dead. He overcame death. He overcame sin. He rose from the dead. By partaking of his bread, that makes us partakers of his nature, of his very life. And so we call to remembrance what Jesus did, that he not only died for you, but he gave you life, eternal life, a gift. Forgiveness of sins, a gift that no one else could give. So let's partake of this as we pray. Father, thank you for your body which was given for us. We we partake of this bread, calling to remembrance what you did for us. In Jesus' name. The scripture goes on to say, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, you do this in remembrance of me. And the scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus shed his blood for us. No longer was it lambs and goats that were sacrificed on the altar, symbolizing that in the old covenant. But Jesus became the lamb that was slain for us to bring forgiveness of sins. So let's pray before we partake. Father, if there's anyone we need to forgive, we choose to forgive them. Even as Brent did, Officer Geiger in that courtroom this past week. Father, we thank you that you've forgiven us. We receive forgiveness. And as your word says, Lord, we forgive even as you've forgiven us. So as we partake of this cup, Father, let your love move in our life to bring healing in Jesus' name. Realize that God knows what's going on in your life. He's well aware and willing to meet you right where you're at. If you are dealing with bitterness, bitterness over loss leads to blame. But when God's love encounters you, there's no place for bitterness. There's no place for resentment. It leaves us. Let's stand together. We're going to worship, and the host will pass the baskets to collect your cups at this time. And let's worship God together. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.net.